And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. This is the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic, and uh, you know, we're riding high now. The last time we spoke, just a, a modest two days ago, it was a 12-game losing streak. Now, it is a gargantuan two-game winning streak for the Cubs. Who saw that coming, Mooney? Did you... Uh, were you uh, rather inflated? You know, people always say deflated. You know, you never hear the converse. Were you rather inflated to see them uh, win two games in a row and pull within, I think, 14 games of the second wild card spot? When you when you wrote that on Bleacher Nation, I was like, wow, that's way closer than I would have thought to a wild <laughs> well, card the Padres, position. The Padres have yeah. been scuffling for a while. And they started Jake Arrieta. I mean, that's how desperate. And it did not the go Padres well. Are at Coors Field, and then uh, another flare-up of the hamstring. I guess was it the same hamstring? So I mean, I like. It, I still have the this the fan thing. So I have trouble. I have trouble going too hard in with the jokes. But it was funny that like, if you recall, in the last episode, Sahadev joked. Like, oh, I'm sure it'll just be more bad luck with balls finding holes and da da da. I mean, it was exactly that. It was exactly the same kind of start he's had with the Cubs where he's just giving up rockets. Like, that's just all it was. And then, just like with the Cubs, twice, uh, it's uh, hamstring. I mean, and maybe it is. Like, maybe I'm, I, I'm not ruling out the possibility that, especially at 35, he's trying to pitch through like an ongoing leg issue and it's impacting his landing point. It's impacting his release, whatever, totally possible. Uh, but it, but it is, I don't know. It was, it was just sort of one of those like, (laughs) yep, that went exactly like anybody who's been watching him this year expected it to go. So I I don't know what they're going to, I don't know if they're just going to put him on the IL or what. Like definitely don't look up my stories from spring training or after the Darvis trade when I'm like raving about the Padres and they're, you know, if they can have a $300 million infield, why can't the Cubs, things like that. I mean, after making all those moves and still being like that thin at the most important time of the year is really uh, kind of staggering to me, especially as we try to think through the rebuild and Jed kind of tipping his cap last winter to the Padres saying, you know, they got to this point, uh, meaning San Diego in terms of building out a farm system and creating flexibility and convincing ownership to go all in, in a really difficult division against the defending world series champs. And now you have the Cincinnati reds who did not look particularly exquisite this week against the Cubs, like breathing down their necks and probably in a really good position 
to uh, win that wild card just because their schedule is against teams like the Cubs. Well, the Padres are now, and I'm not counting them out. I'm not saying anything about the years to come. Clearly, they've pushed in aggressively the last two years. And, I mean, my gosh, you know, they, they balls out to trade for Clevenger. He gets hurt. They trade for Snell. He hurt and struggles. They trade for Darvish, hurt, and and has actually quietly been struggling for a while. And you just think about how they were a model for almost, it's almost a classic kind of rebuild at this point where you're just, you're sort of methodical in building up the farm system, focusing all your energy on that side of the thing for a few years, and then getting really aggressive when you feel like you're turning the page. And it it was like every move they made the last two or three years, they were justifiably in my view getting applauded nationally it was sort of like heck yeah go for it oh yeah do that yeah you you guys have the farm system to do it you've got the young core push go for it and here they are a third place team in the nl west trying to hold on to a second wild card spot and it just feels like like you said it's almost like this uh, going out and getting jake arietta is emblematic of how the, the perfectly laid plans can still get waylaid. You know, they can still go to the side. And, and I think you're right to put this in the context of the Cubs that we don't know what their course exactly is going to look like over the next year, two, three, whatever. But like it is, it's a jarring reminder to see that like you can do it as successfully on paper as the Padres have and still not have it all together. Um, and I think that's probably an important reminder here at the outset of whatever this phase is for the Cubs. It's a good reminder to Cubs fans that like, just because the last rebuild worked in terms of, you know, creating a window world series, few NLCS, it doesn't have to play out that way. And so you have to, you, you almost can't be entirely single-minded about what your constructive approach is, which I thought that actually, I just did a really good segue there to the piece there about um, the Cubs not being, you know, too dogmatic about their approach. I'll let you I'll let you take it from there. I'm pretty proud of myself that I got naturally right into that. Yeah, I mean, I think we should probably just take a moment to recognize that transition. I mean, that was pretty outstanding, Brett. Uh, We're talking about the stories to hide Evan I wrote for yes. this morning that, that was, essentially that was, my, the, uh, the, that was my beautiful crystal clear transition <laughs> that you had to clarify that that's what i meant that's how that's how good and clear my transition really was i got you i <laughs> we were side of an hour kind of bouncing back and forth with a couple ideas and one kind of strain of it was you know the cubs just rolled out all of these new players that by and large people don't know who they are um it's really kind of jarring being around wrigley field or on the road after seeing the same faces over and over again for like five six seven years um see these news guys and they all whenever they're kind of introduced there's some version of the question like like do you want to be part of the next core and you know of course they do. Like every single player in 2013 wanted to be part of the next core that won the World Series. Like there's no one. Granted, some players may not sign contract extensions. Some players have different priorities. But like, no one has ever come out and been like, "No, I hate it here. 
I don't want to be on the Cubs when they're good again. Like, of course, they love this opportunity in front of them. But I, I think that was maybe not the problem because the Cubs did win the World Series and had been very good um, for a very long time. Uh, but I think this idea of, like, anointing players and being kind of stuck in that mindset is not particularly healthy. And that, you know, every offseason, Brett, we talk about – Eh, the Brewers, eh, I don't know. And then they just, like, blow the Cubs' doors off. Like, you know, Tampa Bay, it's like, oh, well, this is the year they're going to take a step back. They traded sell the Padres. They let Charlie Morton go for nothing. They got the best record in the American League. And I'm not saying the Cubs should spend like a small market team at all. I'm saying that because they're a big market team, they have a lot more resources and opportunities to, like, take chances and maybe it's not, as Saad I've pointed out, <clears throat> giving Jason Hayward the biggest contract in franchise history. Like I think we're going to see uh, a reawakening in terms of the free agent market. Like if you're not a superstar offensive player, you're not going to get a superstar contract. And unless you're like a number one type pitcher, you're not going to get a John Lester deal. However, maybe it's going to be shorter deals with much higher average annual <coughs> values and. I think David Ross has seen what like a 162-game schedule with all the day games at Wrigley can do to a team. And I think he would like more interchangeable parts and a little more flexibility within the roster. And that's something Jed Hoyer had said since he took over for Theo Epstein that, you know, we believed in this core and they kind of boxed themselves into a corner. And that there's always players out there that you're curious like, Maybe they just got a little more playing time or if our coach could make one tweak to a guy like Jake Arrieta, imagine what he could do. And I think that's what the Cubs don't really know exactly what they're doing. It's not like, you know, they have some top secret plan that they're not sharing. Like they really don't know what the CBA is going to look like. Um, I doubt they have a very strong idea of what their budget will be going forward at this point. Um, but I think those are some of the general outlines of, you know, creating something different and not thinking like we're going to build a core for the next seven years and run it almost all the way to the end of their free agencies. Yeah, I, um, it was a, it's an excellent article. I highly recommend folks check it out uh, because it it is it, there was something about it that it, it's not as though you guys were making brand new po- like just sort of talking about things that we've never talked about before. But it was sort of the way you were putting in context the idea that, oh, yeah, it doesn't have to be like this idea that you you build this core and then you move on to this core and then you move on to this core. That's actually a pretty dogmatic approach to organization building. And arguably, it is a part of what I'm not saying it's why things went wrong for the Padres. I mean, they certainly utilized prospect capital quite a bit more than most teams. But there's this idea that you need to, to align a particular group of players all at the same time, same age range, same cost structure, whatever, so you can sort of have that maximum peak at the same time. Uh, again, the Cubs of 2016 were kind of like the platonic ideal of that idea. But as you guys point out in the article, the Rays never do that. The Giants are clearly not doing that right now. The Red Sox, I would point out, as another one that did not really do that. Now, granted, and of course, their top dog just came over from the Rays. Um, And so 
I think it's that's a valuable way to think about it, which ties to a point that we've made before that I want to underscore, and I have to do it delicately because I feel like it's a real easy one for people to hear something I'm not saying. And that's the idea that when you had this core locked into place for so long, and we liked them as individual players, it's not as if we were necessarily ever saying they got to get rid of this guy or they got to get rid of this guy. They got to get rid of these guys so they can have more flexibility to experiment with guys like Frank Schwindel. No one was saying that. But it is true that a lot of those spots were locked in. And so there was never even an opportunity to find a Frank Schwindel. Like that was that was never even a possibility for the last eight years that you could not do that. And so that isn't me saying, oh, Frank Schwindel is a guy. Although, let me say, I'm going to whisper it real quiet to the side. Frank Schwindel is a guy. Uh, but it is it is me saying that... There is an opportunity here now. It's an organic opportunity for the organization to behave in a way that realistically they couldn't in the last four or five, six years. And I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm certainly not saying it's a guarantee that they'll succeed. Um, and I'm furthermore not saying that it should ever be used as an excuse to not spend money. It's only to say that this canvas is as blank as it has been since... You know what? Maybe ever in our, and here's why. Here's what I'd argue. Uh, pre Theo and Jed coming in, pre Ricketts ownership, when the Tribune owned, they had a model for operating this team. Okay. I think most people of a certain age understand what that is. It was not going to look anything like what it is today. Part of that's because the game has changed, but it's also just the fundamentals of what Cubs ownership is has changed. Um, and then when Theo and Jed did come in, although they had to pivot quickly because of the change in the CBA at the time, they clearly had a model in mind. I mean, we joked about it all the time. We called it the plan, the, the capital P. I mean, there was a there was going to be an approach to create a sort of maximum peak at the same time of all these young guys coming at the same time to be supplemented by expensive free agents and acquisitions. Fine, great, worked. Uh, but then that built this window with this core, like Mooney and Sahadev wrote, that sort of blocked out a period of time where they kind of had to operate in a relatively small box. And now I, I could not honestly, as I sit here, tell you exactly what that next approach is going to be. So yeah, I think I'm right when I say this is about as blank canvassy as it gets for the Cubs in our, our lifetimes of following this team. Yeah. I think you hit on it there, Brett, and maybe they did condense three trade deadlines in one given the volume of what they did uh this past july uh i can never prove this and oftentimes it can be overstated but one of the things that not at theo epstein was something he created was this like clubhouse culture and this like sense of destiny around the cubs and that like when it happens and you can be part of the core and that messaging was appropriate for the, for the time. And, you know, this idea of making history, I'm not sure if it was like the greatest way to sharpen everyone's competitive instincts 24 seven over the course of a 162 game season. And also, you know, if the Cubs are bad the next couple of years, it's not like the Cubs are going to lower ticket prices or like put marquee over the air. Um, this 
it's your money as fans that they're investing in the team. So it's like, who cares if it's not the most precise value lineup on the Ivy computer system in terms of a starting pitcher they're going after? Like, if you think this guy is going to give you, you know, $13 million worth of production, but it's going to cost 17, it's like, who cares? Go after it. Do it. Because as we've seen, the bottom falls out when you don't have starting pitching. It's still might be a really bad team even with like pretty okay starting pitching like the cubs got uh in 2012 through 2014 they definitely had some bright spots but we just saw this 12 game losing streak and the 11 game losing streak is just simply not sustainable and it's going to turn up the heat on everyone in that organization to an even higher degree so i don't know throw some money around you know maybe that contract on the last year doesn't look so great but like who cares I and mean, you you see some elements of pitching development bubbling to the surface and you take the the rest of the season here to continue evaluating some young young pitchers who have looked fairly interesting whether or not they're like number three starters maybe they are depth starters or like swingmen and like those guys are really valuable too like all this talent the schwindels the patrick wisdoms are like low cost depth guys who you know are valuable in their own way they just need to be surrounded by the right players and you know jed and his group like just have to be right i mean theo said that a long time ago um and it's still true to this day like there's not some secret sauce or magic bullet it's like sign the right players and the giants um have certainly found a lot of value on the margins and they got their starting pitching right and i think all five of their main guys, at least at the start of the season, were going to be free agents at the end of this season. So if you find the right guys, even if it's not, you know, even if some people may think, oh, that's an overpay, it's like, well, you're a bad team, you have to overpay. And you're a big market team, you got to put a good product out there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, all of that reminds me of something that Theo Epstein said, oh, I think it was a week before he departed last year. And uh, it was a it was within the context of the guys who were had one more year of team control and what might happen. And, and uh, he said there's it was something to the effect of there's no such thing as a bad one year contract. And it's something we've heard before. Um, it was interesting when used in the context of these players on the Cubs, but it, 
I wouldn't say that it fundamentally reshaped my thinking about what and how the Cubs should approach things, but it is hard for it not to keep coming to mind when we have these conversations about uh, the pitching needs for the Cubs and in the nearer term and in an environment where you might be able to bring in some really interesting guys on some very high dollar, very short term contracts, maybe not one year, but you know, a shorter term deal at a higher dollar amount there's something about that that feels less risky to your organization longer term, particularly as you hope to have prospects on the rise, um, but still positions you well to succeed. And the Giants are the, the great example. I mean, as a short term, as short term a rotation as it gets, and it's one of the best rotations in baseball. Now, some of that was sort of like internal retention and things like that, but 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 the the idea still plays that you know just because you're taking short-term swings, they don't all have to be a Jake Arrieta swing where it's like a, you you acknowledge up front, you're taking a one in 10 chance that maybe he could be okay. You know, maybe you're just going to, going to pay aggressively for a higher probability outcome. So I think that'll be interesting. I don't know that you're going to see a lot of movement on that front before the CBA is decided because it takes two to tango. If you're the pitcher on the other side, you might want, Hey, Hey, I'm not taking anything short term even at a high dollar amount until I know I can't get some super long guarantee. You have to deal with the market as it is. You can't, you know, single-handedly create how you want. But um, so that was one thing I wanted to say about what you were saying, Mooney, and to a different point to react to with respect to some of those interesting depth position guys that the Cubs have brought along this year, have, whether it's discovered, whether it's helped, whether, you know, whatever it is, you know, as much as I blanch at the idea that like we, we should start counting on these guys for next year or give the Cubs an excuse not to spend because they can be like, Oh, we already have a first baseman. I do think we should acknowledge that we talked for years about wanting the Cubs to be able to do this, right. To find these sort of position players who have a very uh, strong underlying ability that they maybe haven't had opportunities that maybe were one tweak away from succeeding. Um, and I just wonder if we're seeing it right now and that it sort of is hidden a bit because the team is so bad and because these guys aren't complementing a strong team. And maybe it would be more noticeable if they were. But it is, to me, a little heartening, regardless of what you think Rafael Ortega, Michael Hermosillo, Frank Schwindel, Patrick Wisdom, regardless of what you think any of those guys can and will be next year, it is a little heartening to me to see that the Cubs had opportunities for those types of guys this year and they are succeeding. It it could just be a you know coincidence, but I don't know. That's a lot of success in in finding those guys and helping them succeed. And it uh at least is it's the only data point we have for them to be able to do this in the last, you know, ten years. And I don't know. I think it's been pretty heartening to see the success. Well, yeah, Brad, there's also been a lot of failure. <laughs> over the last couple of years. I mean, looking at these guys of like, it, I was looking up at the board in Cincinnati. And it's still kind of staggering to see some of these individual hitters numbers in late August. Like, you know, I mean, Jason Hayward was a big part of that world series team. And, you know, he's brings a lot of positive attributes to the clubhouse, but he is just not, performing at the level the Cubs expected and he did perform very well last year and so did Ian Happ but his numbers are not where 
they need to be either. And, you know, David Bodie cashed in after a nice, uh, you know, whatever half season in 2018. And he's, I think, still hitting under 200. I mean, it, when you stack up these hitters one after another, the guys that the Cubs have kind of bet on and believed in, I mean, the, the numbers are kind of staggering. And, the, and that was the thing where we talked about a while ago of like, even if you brought back Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez, like this team was nowhere close to where it needed to be. And so I think if you're a Cubs fan who's watched this team over the years, you can understand and appreciate why you just want to try something different and, and new. And it's not locking you in at all in the future. And, and I think they should, you know, still blow out the budget as far as they can and bring in as much talent as they can. But um, there have been some, uh, I would say, hits uh, in the minor league free agent realm um, on the pitching and hitting sides. And, And I think that is something that internally they're pointing to of like, whether it's the bullpen or the bench or just overall depth, I think that is going to be a piece moving forward that they feel pretty good about and that would allow them to make some of those bigger bets you're talking about, Brett, of like higher AAVs, shorter-term deals, and trying to get creative and accelerate these plans. Uh, And for the record, you know, all those the, the struggling ones that you pointed out, those are all Theo's guys. This is Jed. This is Jed's era now, Mooney. See, the, the, all the all Jed's guys are succeeding. I mean, That's... Hayward and Happ were like their two best offensive players last year, right? I mean, I wrote a story about Ian Happ being in the MVP conversation last September, and he looked like he was going to address their two biggest needs uh, in terms of center field and like a leadoff guy. Finally, filling Dexter Fowler's role, and it's you know, I think Ian Happ's overall number numbers in the big leagues are pretty strong, and I think. Um, there's a lot to work with there. It's just that there needs to be a little more of a a floor here in in terms of what you're going to get. And I think just the realities of the arbitration system, uh, which he knows better than anyone as a union rep, is going to make it a a really interesting, difficult decision for the Cubs on a a former first-round pick. Yeah, I I was going to say the same. Uh, it'll at least provide us some stuff to talk about in the month ahead. He's heating up a little bit. He's like uh, slightly above average overall in the last three weeks. So, hey, and we haven't had a stretch like that to even mention this year. So I'll, I'll take it in terms of at least something to discuss. So that's where we're going to leave it for this one. Folks, the Cubs have the Royals this weekend. Uh, I won't comment on how critically important that series is, although it is, but not for the reasons you might think. Uh, we will be back at you early next week. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleach Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. Get his stuff at The Athletic, including that great piece he wrote with Zahadev. And uh, we will see you back on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, folks. Thanks.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.